In this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul establishes the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead. And he's writing to the church in Corinth, a particularly worldly church, a particularly sinful church. Is it any wonder that some of the Corinthians denied the resurrection, like the Sadducees? Why? Because they were living for this world. Their attentions and their hearts were in this world, living for the gain of this material world. Those awful Corinthians, right? We can sit in judgment on them the rest of the morning. Or we can take heed. Brothers and sisters, how easy it is for us to live for this world. So much of the time, we so badly want this world only. But this world is only our temporary home. Because death comes to us all. And after that is eternity. How grateful we are then that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote about the resurrection from the dead. Because the resurrection of the dead is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't separate it. And the Apostle Paul, he writes, he always preached the same gospel. He preached the gospel, the good news that Jesus saved sinners. The Corinthians received it. By that gospel, they stood. And by that same gospel, they were saved. And so they were to hold fast to the word that was preached. That term, hold fast, there was a time in pastor's college, I underlined it. That term, hold fast, comes up all over scripture. Think of a sailor on the deck of a ship. He's responsible for the lines and the rigging, managing the sails which direct where the ship goes. Now think of that sailor on that ship out to sea in the middle of a storm. Has anyone been on a boat in a storm? It's no surprise that it's Lee Morewood, right? And he survived to tell about it. There's strength with that one. My kids hardly go out on the front porch in the middle of a thunderstorm. It's terrifying. It would be terrifying on a boat. And that sailor, if he does not hold fast to those lines, he's done for and the ship will sink. But life is terrifying like that storm. Whether you're young or old here, I know this life can and has been very difficult for some of you young people. But trust me when I say, as you get older, it gets harder. The storms get bigger. And so what are you going to do? The only thing you can do is to hold fast. The word which was preached to you, hold fast to the good news that Jesus saves sinners like you and I. Hold fast to the fact of the resurrection from the dead. That although we will all face death, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, 
there at the end, before the celestial city. It's terrifying. But then after, you go home and you have eternal rest with Jesus. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And I ask you, why? Why would we be most pitied if we've hoped in Christ in this life only? When I was a younger Christian, I first read that, and I thought, well, of course it's because if I've denied myself, if I haven't given myself to the worldly pleasures that I see everyone else giving themselves to, well, then I missed out. I was thinking only about suffering as a Christian here and now. And it's true that as Christians, we suffer. Never forget, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Like a good father, I know spankings hurt. But dad and mom discipline you because they love you. In your life, as you've endured, whether a brief or a long amount of time, a time of being sanctified and disciplined by the Lord, it is painful, and you just want it to end. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And as Christians, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And the Lord has blessed us. We're very rich. We're very, very wealthy. Well beyond what we deserve. But as Christians, we don't love the world just for the world itself because we don't lose sight of the world that is to come. To bear the name Christian means that you cannot be living for this world because we have the world to come. Put yourself in the Apostle Paul's day. To say that you were a Christian under Nero, you wouldn't be only despised and hated. It often meant you would be tortured and crucified. You refuse to go along with the cultural idols, all the sophistication, the sophisticated idolatry around us. But wake up and look around you today. See the world as a Christian should see it. And this modern world is just as hostile to biblical Christianity. And shame on us as American Christians if we try to not live in that tension. Live as a faithful Christian. Think, speak, and act as a Christian, and the world will hate you. And so we pray that God will make us be faithful for that exact thing. Pray that God will give you faith in him with the little things, saying yes and no to things. Because we know that after death, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ.
If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But again I ask, why? Why would we be most to be pitied? Think of the promises of God. God always makes good on his promises, and they're always the best promises. Even if we need to wait on them, very patiently. Satan's the opposite. Satan's the father of lies. Satan promises just a little bit of sin. Just a little bit. And then he never makes good on his promises. Whereas our Heavenly Father always makes good. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Why? It would be like a child who expects the best things from his daddy. Dad's never let his child down ever, and so the child waits eagerly for that expected gift. And it would be like that dad at the very end not coming through. Dad completely failing his son or daughter. Imagine being waited to be adopted. Everything is all worked out, all the details, being promised that adoption is coming, and then at the very end, it didn't work out. Never mind. Changed my mind. But let me tell you something. That's not our Heavenly Father. He is good, and He loves you, and He adopts you as His sons. No matter how many times you've turned away from him in sin, no matter how many times you've squandered the good things and the good gifts he's given you, no matter how many times we've proven ourselves faithless to him and been ungrateful for his gifts and his great kindness to you, the times we've been completely selfish, not thinking of God or our neighbor, no matter how many times we're tempted to despair and to lose hope. Let me tell you, despite all those times we've lost hope, he is always faithful. He's always great. And at the day of resurrection, our Heavenly Father, he will make good on his promise. We are the prodigal son. We turn away. And he is perfectly faithful. We haven't hoped in Christ in this life only. Why did the Apostle Paul write all this out? Why did he develop this argument in this chapter at the end of the letter to the Corinthians? Think about what that man suffered. Most of us wouldn't be able to last a week, let alone a month or year, in the Apostle Paul's shoes. Do you think writing this he was tempted to despair and lose hope? And yet now, after all that suffering, where is the Apostle Paul? He's in heaven, being comforted by the Father, singing Jesus' praises. Because Jesus Christ, the second and perfect Adam, was the one who came to make all of this possible. We have not hoped in Christ in this life only. Yes, Jesus died, and they grieved. When that tomb closed, they thought it was over. And when you bury your loved one in the ground, 
by God's providence, Joseph and Heidi are not here this morning. When that hole has been dug and that casket has been placed down in the earth and it really starts to hit home, when the earth gets put back on top of that grave, then you realize we're not getting them back. We cannot experience this life with them again. And yet, what does our chapter say? Like a seed that is planted in the ground, what happens in the spring? It grows up. That's right. I long for the spring more every year, especially as we see loved ones buried. We, we sing, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. We don't end the song there. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. We have not hoped in Christ in this life only, because he won. Jesus stands in victory over death, that enemy. Our first father Adam sinned, and so the sentence of death came to us all. And death truly is awful. You've lost loved ones. You know how painful it is. Death is an enemy. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Death is an enemy. As you place your loved one in the grave, your heart aches. And you long for the day when you'll be reunited. Many of you, dear mamas and papas, have lost little ones before they were born before you even had the opportunity to bury them. All of them are being loved by their Heavenly Father now. They're in Jesus' bosom. And in Christ we have that hope. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. He has put all things in subjection under his feet. And who better to put in charge than King Jesus? Think about it. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Because he is fully man, he intimately felt and tasted the pain and suffering of death. Hebrews tells us, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast. Again, our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus can sympathize with your weaknesses. What sweet, sweet words. Jesus sympathizes with us, which we need because we are weak. Even the strongest among us here, we're weak. One little virus, one little cancer cell, and the strongest among us are reminded how weak we are. And those among you who are strong, bear with the weaknesses of those who are weak, 
anyone who is under your care and authority, sympathize with their weaknesses. Yes, they sin. Yes, they are completely obnoxious. Sympathize with their weaknesses. Remember that we only get to enjoy life together with one another here for a brief and fleeting time. Our bodies are weak. Our passage today says that our bodies are perishable. Perishable. Meaning likely to decay or to go bad quickly. Having a brief life or significance. Scripture says this in other words, but I've even heard older pagans say, life is short and hard at best. The wise among us will take the warning. Teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may present to you hearts of wisdom. Jesus Christ, fully man, he knows what it's like to be tempted to sin. Of course, he never sinned. But he was no stranger to death. Even before his own death, Jesus saw the death of his friend, who? Who was Jesus' friend who died? Lazarus. Lazarus is who I'm thinking of. And what did Jesus do? When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus was crying. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Do you want to have greater hope in the coming resurrection? Do you want to look forward more and more to heaven with Jesus? Then we are, this passage says, to stop sinning. Those sins that so easily entangled us. Put an end to them, the Apostle Paul tells us. We talked about the springtime those seeds that spring up. Tell me, hold a little apple seed in your hand. How does that seed sprout into a little stem and leaf and then over time grow into a giant apple tree? How does it happen? God is the one who causes that growth. It's a miracle. We don't know how it happens. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. You plant that body of that dear loved one in the ground and the Lord brings about the resurrection. We don't understand it. How could we understand it? But the Lord causes these things to happen by his mighty hand. It's true that a dead body in a grave, it's something that we just don't want to think about. You don't want to picture it. 
the body decaying and returning to dust. But although the body is sown in dishonor and perishable, it is raised imperishable and in glory, although it is put in the ground obviously in weakness. It is raised in power. We want to avoid death because it's awful. And the sentence of death came because of our sin. Now in Scripture, there are a couple exceptions. You have Enoch, you have Elijah, but if you read through all the genealogies, we're reading through the Old Testament together, so-and-so, this man lived, he had sons and daughters, and he died, no longer with us. Death is scary, death is sad. We don't want anyone here dying, young or old. We don't want these young men and women to die. We see their potential. And we're curious what they're going to go on to be and live like. They have their whole lives ahead of them. And yet, who wants the older among us to die? I don't even want to think about losing any of the fathers and mothers in this church, let alone the grandfathers and grandmothers. I don't even want to think about leaving a single small group without Tom and Linda there. At the very least, because of all their experience and all their wisdom, all the storms that they live through, that we can learn from. Because when this current generation gets called home to glory, what are you going to do? You're going to need to step up and fill their shoes. Have you ever ran a relay race? Four men on the track, one at a time. What are they carrying? They carry a baton. And that baton needs to make it around that track, passing through the hands of the four men, one after the other. Once the first man finishes his circuit, he's done. His race is finished. And the baton is in your hand now. That last man, he's not going to run the race for you. Now you need to run and you need to work. And so you sons and daughters, I know there are times, perhaps even all the time, when your dad and mom are an absolute obnoxious drag. But have you ever stopped and think about what it's like to be them? The task of raising the next generation, it is impossible. That look of quiet desperation on dad's and mom's faces, it's not pretend. Who is sufficient for these things? But young men and women, if you're going to simply sit by in defiant judgment on mom and dad, let me ask you, what if and when the good Lord is pleased to take dad and mom away from you to be home with Jesus? And you have the constant responsibility of the family and the home on your shoulders. 
Think about the Ephesian elders as the Apostle Paul left them. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. None of us want to think about losing dad and mom. But death will come to us all, young and old. And in closing, on the day of judgment, when you stand before the throne of Jesus Christ, you won't be pointing to dad and mom's good deeds. You won't be pointing to your good deeds. All you can do now and then is cry out to Jesus. He's the perfect one who died and was resurrected from the dead. He conquered death and death is in subjection under his feet. Never forget. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Your work as a Christian is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you glory. Our hope, our faith, our trust is in you. Jesus has defeated death. Father, give us hope in you. Our faith is in you for the resurrection at the last day. Have mercy on us, Father, in the small tasks and in the great. Be with us that we would stop sinning and live by faith in you with all we think, say, and do. Loving you, loving our neighbor. Humble us under your mighty and powerful hand and give us your spirit, all these things for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.